0: Gentlemen, start your engine.
1: This is going to be a mighty emotional occasion for a lot of people, not the least of whom is myself. In you know, a race to remember. But this is absolutely godsmacking. smacking yeah, He hasn't even hit the brake yet. it has gone crazy at the top of the hill. What an off-the-scale car race. G'day, I'm Dan Hollihan. Welcome to my motorsports podcast, On the Couch with Hawley. Today, I'm joined by Bart Moore, my driver coach, and two-time World Time Attack champion. This episode is brought to you by hashtag My Balcony and Terrace. The links are in the show notes. All right, Bart, welcome to the podcast. You're finally on the couch with Huli. It's not a van trip, Bart. It's actually just us in a massive studio this time. <laughs> I haven't seen you since last year. So, um, what have you been up to since I last saw you?
0: Well, yes, it is a bit like our chats in the van, isn't it? And not yep. not quite as cosy since last year. I have been busy, yep. uh, mainly in the workshop. I also had a little bit of uh, shoulder surgery done. Yep. Um, it was planned, don't panic. Um, <laughs> old mountain bike injury, so I deliberately chose the off-season to get that done. Yep. And it's been a slow recovery, but coming on strong now, so ready for the new season.
1: Yeah. Has much been going on in the workshop since I've last been there? Yeah, it has
0: actually. we got some really interesting cars at More Engineering. So we've got, obviously, uh, New South Wales Fast Spectrum, which yep. you know very well. <laughs> um, we've got Steve Webb's Elfin with the Repco V8 engine in it a uh, really special car yep so uh, Steve dropped that off just to get a few jobs done before he kicks off at Phillip Island the big historic meeting there early in the year and then we've got a couple of pre-war cars which is mm. rare for us and obviously my Radical and we've got a Porsche GT4 there, so pretty widespread of cars, really.
1: Yeah, right. Did you go to the um the Porsche Carrera Cup day at Eastern Creek, or did you not go out?
0: Well, actually, I was there yesterday, so yeah, yeah good timing. I was there doing a, a track night session in the evening, but knowing they were out there, I did go for a bit of a perve and uh, caught up with Wally, and they had a good look at the car. Yeah. And
1: Dave didn't put you in the car at all, did he? No, 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 he's oh. smarter than that, threw away <laughs> the keys,
0: Um, but yeah, they are impressive, and it's funny when you walk up and down the pits there, and we say it every time, that new Generation of Porsche Cup cuts come out. How do Porsche do it? They're so much better. And it's not one area, but yep. um, the tyres have evolved. Michelin come up with a new tyre and they just refine them. And yeah, I think it's hard to know how much faster they're going to be, but yep. all the drivers are pretty wrapped.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about the cars though? Do you reckon they'll be, they'll create better racing or do you reckon it'll be more spread out because of the aero on them?
0: I, I don't know. Career Cup's not, hasn't been known for its racing as such over the years. But having said that, last year it was pretty good. I, I don't think it'll change massively. I just hope that it doesn't create a bigger gap between the pro and the M drivers, but yeah, we'll see.
1: So now we've, we obviously know each other really well. Normally with other other drivers and other guests here, I kind of start a bit awkwardly, but I know you so well because we're actually a race team together. But I want to know about the real Barton Moore and the kid that grew up on the farm racing a go-kart.
0: Yeah. So I, I guess to just rewind a little bit, so you touched on my father, Dave Moore, very strong constructor. Yep. And engineering business So that's where my interest started More engineering in Orangeville Up yep. on the hill Big shed and the family house And basically as a kid I was just around engineering and cars So yep. I got a, a splattered big toe on my right foot From dropping a big spanner off the hacksaw onto my foot Jesus. Obviously not wearing shoes at the time, so that was the first <laughs> lesson. We we're, we're good shoes in a workshop. And then through you know, my mum, uh, Diane uh, and David, always just around race cars. I remember running home from school off the bus to get into the shed and see what dad and the guys were working on and sitting in cars and just all of that. So it, it, it's been my life the whole time. Got a paddock basher, so I was keen to get a go-kart and I found an ad in the local trading post mm. when they use newspapers and not. Mm. Yeah. And, not um, these days. <laughs> yeah. And for $50, there was a, a go-kart. Yeah. I mean, to call it a go-kart, is a bit insulting to yeah. every other go-kart in the world. It was water pipe for a chassis, a Victor lawnmower engine. Did you it was, build it yourself, or was it no? Late? It was actually already built, which I think that's why Dad was happy because at that time, like he was so busy. Just. Yeah. <laughs> so the deal was, I save up half. He he paid the other half twenty five dollars. So I did all the chores, bought this go kart, and honestly, I just thrashed this thing around. Like yeah. I make I made tracks with old race tires through the the paddock. Got stopwatches out. Got my mates to time me, and that was. That was really the start. I just fell in love with just working on this thing in the stinking hot summer days, trying to work out how to get it going. And I'd run up the driveway at pace, do a U-turn and come back, but naturally building up more and more speed. And and it was just at a crest to, I remember I went flying up, front end got light, I turned and nothing happened. And I just went straight (coughs) into the veranda post. Jesus. And I went forward and collected my nuts on the the steering wheel and I was in a lot of pain. So I I, um, basically hobbled back down to the workshop, which is only a couple hundred meters away. And Dad was running the former Holden team at the mo- at that time, and he had some of his mechanics there. And I hobbled in, hoping to get some sympathy, and cried out to one of the mechanics and said, "There was Murray and Murray, ah, oh, just crashed." <laughs> and he said, "What happened, Bart?" I said, "Ah, oh, it understeered into the veranda post." And he, he stopped me. He said, "Bart, it didn't understeer into the veranda post. You understeered it into the <laughs> veranda post." So it's just things like that. Just that was your the first
1: lessons. lesson of about first lesson. Don't cu- don't shift the
0: blame when you stuff up. <laughs> stuff up. So. And I still got that thing yep. hanging up in the little shed. Yep. And I just hope I never have to get it going because I remember how much work it was to keep it going. <laughs> and I just hope you know either of our two boys yeah. that don't have to go through all that.
1: Yeah, I was going to bring up that the two boys you got, Felix and Jasper. Are you you obviously are a driver coach. You coach myself and a lot of other people. You're hoping to get them into go carts, right? Well, I don't know. If hoping's the
0: word. I'd like to support them in Mm. in whatever they want to do. And and Jasper's certainly shown a lot of interest. But honestly, on the other hand, and I don't mean to sound too down about this, but I Mm. just know how much I've invested Mm. emotionally and and physically to do what I wanted to do and realistically fallen short of what I aim to do. So I I don't know if I'd want to put that on them directly, but if, they want to do something, I, I would, yeah. So,
1: no pressure there at all. No, no, no. <laughs> so, yeah, you were talking about your dad, um, obviously running a Formula Holden team and open wheel. He, he loves Formula cars because I've been there with him while well, you've been racing at the track yourself. It just astonishing looking at the, the Formula Three cars. Like, how many cars has he actually had in the shed at one time back in the day before? Like, the, the cars that are in there now,
0: yeah. I look, the shed's big, but as a number, maybe mm. six cars or something, but yeah. probably more the journey obviously well before my time, of David, and he's such a generous person with his time. He's a natural teacher. So the people that he's had through more engineering, well, it was based in Sydney, in Ashfield, people like Walt Story and Elwin Pickley and probably mm. Bruce Carey. And then after that, you know, people like, um, and not so well known as those guys, but Roger Tide who went to Renault F1 and worked there and Matthew Hannaford and these guys were winners of New South Wales Tape. Mm. apprentices of the year and and then even before my time was guys like Larry Perkins rebuilding cars in his workshop and then you know Mark Larkin later on and so not so much the volume but just the spread of how many people he's helped and impacted over the years.
1: What about a bit a bit of time when you and obviously you got on your website you and a picture of you and your dad racing go-karts what was your time in go-karts as a kid did you do you remember who you raced did you have any rivalries did you have any like any fun things in the pits that you can remember?
0: Oh, uh, yeah, I, I do cherish the karting times. It was intense with m- my dad. We we were pretty, uh, and I guess a lot of father-sons are, and mm. and it, it was enjoyable, but it, it was quite testing, you know, when you're living and then working and, and then racing together. Yeah.
1: you just seeing each other's face the whole yeah, time. Yeah, yeah,
0: but rivalries, I only ever really karted locally. I never went, actually, out of New South Wales, but yeah. Really some great battles with Jason Varley, uh, Neil Mm -hmm. McFadden and uh, racing against Michael Caruso and... um, Winterbottom? Winterbottom was sort of really a bit uh, in front of me and, you know, I definitely couldn't get close to him (laughs) in anything (laughs) I raced. Um,
1: (laughs) So, yeah, lots of of good karting drivers. I remember when I got into karts, your mum was actually like secretary of Sydney Go-Kart Club. Yep. And she still is to this day helping out obviously Eastern Creek, Sydney Motorsport Park and the Go-Kart Club. Like, I mean, she doesn't do as much as she did back then, Mm. but she still helps out. Mm. Do you remember the time where she, like you weren't even racing, you were obviously overseas or racing in a big track and she'd still help up the Go-Kart track? Would she tell you any things back then, what was was happening in that land or? Yeah, she, she's,
0: I mean, she's a little power packet, isn't she, Diane, but. No, she'd just get on with it. She'd just do it. You know, unless the building was burning down, you wouldn't, she wouldn't make a fuss. But she just always was around the racetrack. Mm. And then you're right, when I went overseas, I think it was a bit of a hole for her. So mm. she really took to being the secretary of Sydney Kart Racing Club. And then later on, she worked for the New South Wales Road Racing Club and yep. secretary there. And she just loves the people. She loves being around the racetrack. And she's been around it since she was a teenager. Yeah. Huh? So a lot of people presume that my influence and energy comes from my father. Yeah. And a lot of it does, but Diane uh, just as much so. I mean, even when I was young and she was working in the business, they were running the Formula Holden team, looking after three kids. She was off to TAFE studying electronics to try to work out how to build a dialogue system for the Formula Holden. Really? Oh, yeah. She's (laughs) full on.
1: So, for her influence in car racing, where did that come from? Did that just come from marrying your dad, or was it was um, her was, her, was your great grandfather or your grandfather? No, it,
0: my father David and Diane. That was the first of their family to get involved in motorsport. And not many viewers would know of of the Party House, but it was a, a bit of a group in Sydney, and they were involved with that. That's how they met, and then they, they had friends, mm. and basically all their friends were in motorsport. So. And they all went off to do different things, whether it was racing or constructing or going overseas, and that was a strong bond. That, that their closest friends to this day, yeah, um, stem from the, the party house.
1: Yeah, right. Well, we've spoken about your parents. I want to know a bit more about your siblings. Like, obviously, I know about you, and I only really found out more about your sister and and your other family when when you happen to get a bit of COVID over Christmas. <laughs> so can you explain, like, you got yourself and your family, but who's your sister and how, why is she living overseas? Probably to get as far away from r- racing as you
0: can. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got two sisters. I've got an elder sister, Kimberly, who's living in London, and she's been there for nearly 20 years, and a younger sister, Ashley. And to be honest, and it's not to the older you appreciate it, but it was just so all-consuming when we were young with me racing, for karting and the former Ford Ford. And they really, mm. you know, suffered to the point of, not having the time from mum and dad and we'd be away travelling all the time and they'd come away sometimes but neither of them are into motorsport and I think Kimberly, my older sister, she saw me get run over once at Lithgow in the go kart. so ever since then she's been (laughs) pretty nervous Um, but when I was in the UK and racing, she did come to the races and a really good base for me so I would go to London on the weekends and stay Mm. with her and that was a big help when you're overseas to have, and I'm pretty close with both of them, Yep. and so that was really good and I, I think she valued that as much as I did.
1: Yeah, right. Well, obviously you, you were saying about racing in the UK. I just want to go back to when you started your, technically your car career. Were you, you, you won 11, was It was 11 straight or you just won 11 races in the historic ranks in Formula Ford before you moved on to the National Series? What was your time in historic Formula Ford racing your dad's car?
0: Yeah, that was interesting because we were karting and trying to work out how we could get into car racing. We had the written off, First, more chassis that woke Brooklyn right off at, at Winton yep. and all the remains and, and, and left over. And, and they were just dead bones at that point. But then they brought in the first uh, wave of historic Palmer Ford. So mm. then it became eligible and suddenly had a value. So Dad said, right, let's rebuild it. So we had all the bits there, all the radiators, and all the things. And I just used to spend time after school mm. working on the car and getting it ready. And to the point where it's a bit more common practice now, but I applied to the school my high school brought and yep. and asked for instead of school sport mm. and I was quite sporty anyway, but instead of going out and doing other sports to focus my time and energy on, on my building sport. A car. So whether yeah. at that time I was racing carts, whether we go and test or run in engines or mostly in the workshop preparing mm. for the weekends. So yep. so then I spent the year last year karting, building up the Formula Ford and then entered the historic scene. And which is pretty unusual pathway for an up-and-coming driver. I mean, most of the historics are older drivers enjoying yeah. the… Uh,
1: Although I kind of replicated that. I kind of did the same thing. Exactly.
0: But at the time, it certainly wasn't that yeah. common. And a lot <laughs> of people sort of were a bit bemused by what we were doing, but it was the only way I could get into a car. Um, and then, of course, we cleaned up in the historics, and that car has mm. an incredible history. It won two national titles in the past uh, with Paul Bernerskony and Russell Norton. So it yeah. was always a, an amazing car. I mean, it, that just hit the sweet spot. With that car, and then that culminated in the last race of the year at Sandown. Alex Davison came out and had a, a run in the Elfin. I think it was a six hundred of John yep. Benson's, and we cleaned up down there, won that race, and then we were able to sell that car and and then buy a, a more modern '92 Van Diemen into the State Series. And then that was the the start off.
1: Yeah. And that was much like your Formula 3 career. You actually had a lot of secondhand equipment, but you're actually doing 10 times better than most of the other drivers, not to talk yourself up, but you're actually doing quite well in secondhand equipment and actually getting top five and podiums and even a few race wins. You yeah. Did, you did actually win at um Albert Park, didn't you? Oh no, sorry, Adelaide. Was it yeah, Adelaide or Albert
0: Park? Yeah, I did. And I guess I was just using our, our resources. So yep. while we didn't have a flash budget... Obviously, with dad's expertise and having our own workshop, we could, you know, prepare the cars and run the cars. So fortunately, at that level, as in the junior categories, the older machinery isn't a massive hindrance. And I don't think at that point it was holding me back. And it was all part of the learning. And while it was incredibly frustrating that dad made me do so much work, you know, the line share the work to get the cars ready, it did impact my ability to focus on the driving. But then it's given me a, a much deeper understanding. And, and other tools to use, you know, later in my career.
1: Yeah. And so, yeah, you obviously had done that part of your Formula Ford career. You only did, for memory, I think, I think it was a, it was a half a national campaign, and then you did, you tested a sports and then you attempted to go the, the tin top route for a bit? Yeah, it was always
0: dangling around us because a lot of the customers we had around from more engineering were, were touring cars, um, particularly uh, Michael Quinn, Phoenix. Mm. running super touring team and, and I had a test in that and, and uh, a couple other cars, but oh, I still have my heart set on going overseas and, and seeing how far I could go
1: with yeah.
0: open wheeler. So I tested the cars and that was great, but nothing was going to yeah. take my eyes off
1: that. So you tested the sports sedan, even though it was fast, you were like, no, nope, I'm going to stay clear on the open wheeler route and just head into the Formula 3. And then this is where everyone started to get to know you. So at this point, you know, Formula Ford is like a hard charging type of thing. A lot of people are trying to get their names out there, but you found your, you're like your nook and cranny, you just your you know, your pathway for you. You hit, you drove an F3 Dallara in Australia. This is where you got a name for yourself. Everyone remembers the white and green helmet, similar to Etten Center, leading the pack. You were racing, I think, Will Power and a few of the other blokes back then. Did you, do you remember much about your time back then?
0: Oh yeah, of course. Um, So I entered the last round of the Formula 3 Championship in 2002, and that was at the Gold Coast. And we qualified on the second row, debut, behind Will Power and um, I think James Manderson. And, I mean, it was a a high spot and a low spot for me, F3 car at Indy. And I charged into the first corner. I tapped somebody with a nose cone into the first corner and the way that that 96 Tallera was had the very long one piece uh, nose body yep. cone, and it really strangely folded the the bonnet up into a big crease in front of me.
1: Yeah, right.
0: And I couldn't <laughs> see where I was going, so I'm at Indy
1: and around a street circuit, around a
0: street track. Yep. So then I'm driving around, and look, look in hindsight, I could just pull it over, but I didn't want to stop. So I'm driving around wrestling this bodywork, trying to rip it off or pull it to one side, trying to keep up with the pack on the first lap. And unbeknown to me, a driver had gone around the outside of me and I couldn't see them and we clipped and I went straight on the wall. Jesus. So that was (laughs) Formula 3. So then we spent the the off-season rebuilding it and then that was the full campaign in 2003.
1: How'd that campaign go?
0: That was a good year. Like you said, that was when I really, Formula 3 cars seemed to suit me a bit more, that downforce and the high grip and the Mm -hmm. commitment. And we just had a, a season-long tussle, mainly with Michael Caruso, but there were some really good drivers running Formula Three then. Uh, mm. Was Christian Neil McFadden Jones, in that
1: class as well? Neil McF- McFadden right? Was McFadden in that class? No, oh.
0: he yeah he did race later, but yeah, that was the year he won the National Formula Four Championship. Yeah, and um, yeah, we just had a seesaw battle with Caruso, swapping the lead in and out of Stewart's room all year, and he pipped us at the end, and we got runner-up.
1: Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so now you've obviously raced in Australia, you've done your thing, here's your chance and you've actually been selected a part of the, before the Cam Rising Star, it was kind of like a thing with you, Tony Riccadillo. Um, who, who who else have I got?
0: Oh, the scholarship. Yeah, Will yeah the Power scholarship, was there. the scholarship, Will Power, yeah. the scholarship. Yeah. I remember
1: you actually, not many people know this, but how I got into cars was actually not via my, my stepdad. My stepdad took me out to the track yeah. to see if I liked racing or not but you were actually the first person to take me around a racetrack in a Ferrari. Yeah. And that was, I think a part of the scholarship. You're actually trying to, you know, show yourself a bit of show and tell and try and get a bit of sponsorship for overseas. Correct?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, you got a good memory, Dan. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was really good. It was uh, Marsh Insurance who were working in conjunction with CAMS and trying to work on every year. They had a scholarship for up and coming drivers. We went to AIS mm-hmm. and I went a couple of years actually, but it was really good. they, Mm. They worked on uh, psychology, obviously fitness, media, yep. uh, and all of that sort of thing. And I won that scholarship and then that budget was allocated for the next season. So yeah.
1: were, you ever, were you actually camera shy before you got into car racing or like camera, oh, you know, media shy or not really? I don't really? know. Because from what, because I, obviously I, you know, stay at the factory every now and then and work on my own car, which is good about more engineering. You actually have, like you, like you, Dad taught you, hands on. Your parents cook a lovely meal, by the way. <laughs> is it all about, Learning and that racecraft that helped you in the factory help you get to where you were and at that part of your career, like to a rising star. Did that make you realize, like, hey, I've actually made a bit of a career out of it at this point?
0: Oh, look, I think at that point it's not a career. I'm still trying to forge my way through. But mm. yeah, definitely. And mum and dad were very clear that look, you know, we can help you work on a car, but you need to build up the other skills. So yep. they encouraged me in things like at school to go in the debating team, and I always took up any opportunity public speaking, and in fact, one of my sponsors in Formula Ford...
1: Who was paid, the sponsor? Do you remember?
0: Uh, oh, it was, it was one of <laughs> oh. the one of the personal uh, investors. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yeah. Yep. He, he paid for me to go and get some public speaking courses. Yeah, right. So, there were some really good people around realising, you know, maybe I was terrible at it, but yeah. realising that, yeah, that's an important side of it, and yep. I, I really on
1: early on. Yeah. Did you always have the number 27 mainly or was it or was it just shifting between numbers throughout you? It was shifting. Early, it early... was a
0: bit of a default number that I'd go to if it was available, but I'm not, um, yeah, bussy on ca- the numbers. I'm just, yeah. Because the reason I, the reason
1: I bring this up is I remember you telling me you were going down to pick up a race engine in Victoria and you're like, oh, do you, remember, do you know Mark Larkham actually got a supercar built up my dad's shop? I was like, holy shit, that's actually pretty <laughs> cool because <laughs> not many people actually know that Dave actually gave a crack at supercars.
0: Yeah, and look, it's the first car that Mark Larkham built and ran in supercars. And it, it had a big reputation and, and really fell short. So that was where, led by Mark, it was a, a lot of open-wheeler philosophy brought into the V8 supercar. There was too much too soon, and I think everyone yeah. appreciates that. Now, I remember as a kid in the workshop, and the guys had just been working night and day, night and day. I mean, they were delirious by this point. And we were watching the TV of the start of the first Fiat supercar round, yep. which Mark was not at. And I was looking at the shell and there were still things being made. And we watched the start. and It was a pretty depressing sight uh, of falling so far short. And then from that book back foot, they never really got to a point to show the car's worth. A lot of things from that car are and, and now in supercars, things like Mark developed the carbon safety cell. Yep. And he's at very central in the car, which a lot of people laughed at, and and things like that that have evolved, but it it was a lot to take on so soon.
1: Yeah, he had a very engineering brain. So back to you after, Mark. You're now over in the UK. This is where everyone started to look because you're racing overseas. You're chasing an F1 career, which is hard in itself, even though now you need to have a billionaire dad. Back then, you still need a lot of budget to race there. You actually did, I think, the British UK Championship first, and then you gave the national class later. But can you explain a bit more about the British... F Formula 3 campaign and who you were with? So off the back of
0: doing Australian Formula 3 and going really well and developing good relationship with Bruce Carey, so that was Dad's very good friend who unfortunately since passed, he engineered me and he really was the catalyst to get me to England because only a couple of years before he'd set up Carl and F3 team for Trevor. So he got me over there. I did a test at the end of 2003 with a a B-class team, performance. And then they were really keen to have me on board in 2004. So basically, I just jumped at it. Nowhere near a budget in place. But they were very understanding of my situation. And to the point where, and this sort of leading back to what you're talking about, utilising my skills, I went to the factory. They had a little motorhome. I slept in the motorhome. I lived in the factory. And I worked on the car myself. So we sort of had half the use of a mechanic. And I ran the car myself. I didn't think anything of it at the time, but I was just sleeping in the factory. There was no shower or anything in the, in the factory. So there was a little truck stop down the road. So I'd borrowed a bike. I'd ride down to the truck stop in the morning, get breakfast. There was a communal like shower. shower. Yeah. So I'd just wait out the front until it was empty. Yeah. Run in. Yeah. Have a quick shower. I didn't linger. <laughs> and then got out of there and um, worked on the car myself, which even at that time was.
1: yeah. Okay. Were you, were you I'm overwhelmed at living at, how old were you then?
0: In, not, not young by by like mid, standards mid, now, like or early 20s. Tw- tw- okay. Mm. Were you,
1: were you overwhelmed living over there, what you said there, or you were just like not phased by it because the way your parents had brought you up? Yeah, I think going to England from
0: Australia is pretty easy, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's, it's not <laughs> that, big trip. Yeah, it's, not, big, it's not that much of a culture change. Um, <laughs> I, I wouldn't care if I was living in the desert. I just want to go racing. And, yeah. And I mean, it sounds cruel, but I loved it over in England because. I eventually started working as a driver trainer. I worked for people like Palmer Sport and and that. And then I'd be, every day, you were either at the track testing, working at the track, training, going to the workshop, and I didn't have any other distractions. I didn't have weddings to go to or birthdays and, you know, Aunty's birthdays and all that rubbish. I I would just, it was only about racing. And that's all you did. And even to the point where later on when I was living in Buckingham, you'd go out for dinner to the pub and there was... Or guys from their fun teams and other drivers there, you would just live and breathe motorsport. That's, that's all you did. Were you
1: starstruck by seeing any of those guys around like that area, or not really? You were just like you're just focused on winning and getting to the next stage. Yeah, of just just
0: focus on the next race. I mean, yeah. it just. no, nah, never starstruck, but certainly looking back, it was yeah mixing with some pretty cool people. Yeah,
1: obviously, I've spoken about with you that I want to race a Formula Three car. Can you actually explain the difference? Because you did you did the national class, and there was a class above. Can you actually explain the classes to me and the little listeners? Yeah, so basically, like most categories do now, Formula
0: 3 have a a build cycle of three or four years where they'll freeze the design, race that, and then update it. So then they'll have, uh, and it's changed name over the years, but the B-class, national class, with the older spec cars, which is predominantly what I raced, and then you had the outright cars. Mm. But even with the older cars, you know, I quite often cracked the top 10. I think the highest I finished was six at Croft, and and then quite often been beating the outright cars. Yep. Even with an older, detuned engine, B-spec yeah. car. But the budget was just so much cheaper for the B-spec. I tried to go up to the, the, the outright class after 2004 was half a season. In 2005, we were able to do the full season with T-Sport, and we got second mm. to that. And then I tried to step up for the outright class next year. Didn't have the budget, so that's when... I, 2006, I went to America. Yeah, that's what I was going to touch went on. went over to, from Atlantic.
1: Yeah. And obviously, you know that, and we've been speaking about this in the van, I'm a huge fan of IndyCar, you have even seen me watch it at your place. Explain your time in America and what it's like, obviously racing in Australia, like the different scenes, you've got Australia, you know, Europe and America. What's the difference between the three countries in, in, in racing? So, Did you
0: yeah, I mean, Australia's got competition, but England's just got the depth. So Australia, you might have in the junior categories, you know, top five is strong in Europe, it's just the top 20. Then America's a whole different culture. And and that was probably if I had a low point in the career or I don't have regrets, but I probably didn't play that so well. I was just so desperate to get over there and get started. But America's culture is strange. I remember going to the driver's briefing and they're trying to say, basically, you can't defend or block into a corner except the first lap or the last lap. This is where I just come from Europe where drivers would just, Crazy, Don't that one. Yeah, at the end of a straight, and nothing get done about it. It was just survival yeah. of the fittest. And uh, yeah, and, and, and the culture, uh, I just mistook. It, it you were the so back market
1: team, weren't you? And it was at Formula Atlantic. That, that's pretty much F two in America, isn't it? Or F yeah.
0: I mean, it was a feeder category to Champ Car to the point where the reason why I went over was it was a, a whole big uh, resurgence to Formula Atlantic to get the best drivers over. Into IndyCars. So the, the winner of the championship basically got a funded drive straight into IndyCars. And so that brought over drivers like Simon Paginale, Graham Rahal, Hinchcliffe and, and drivers from all around the globe
1: mm. with a
0: brand new Swift from Atlantic car. Yeah. So I went over there with some funding with the Australian Motorsport Foundation and everything else that I sort of managed to re- accumulate yep. the support over the years. And I was trying to get into Team Australia. So they'd already committed to Simon Paginale. Mm. Not so Australian, but <laughs> turns out a pretty good driver, and they're trying to get an Australian in the other seat. So I missed yeah. that seat, and I should have just waited.
1: Yeah. But, um, Do you regret any of that at that stage of not waiting, or did you just think, "Hey, this is my life"? I'm yeah, going I, I, to I would
0: regret it. not waiting because that was with Team Walker, who were running Will Power in the Indy cars, and they were trying to help me a lot. And, and he basically said, "Pretty much wait," but I didn't listen. So oh, I went with a back market team, and, and we struggled. I did three races.
1: What was the team called? Transwest. Okay.
0: And by the third race, I got 10th, but then it all fizzled. The problem with that was, then I'd run out of budget. I was in America. I, I didn't have a green card, so I couldn't
1: work. Yeah,
0: you were struggling over there, weren't and you? And then I, 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 was in, I was in a hole, so. Yeah,
1: yeah. Didn't you have a girlfriend over there? Yeah, <laughs> I, so I, I
0: I met an American girl. Yep. The team was based in Georgia, Atlanta. So that's down south, and we're a little bit out. And she was living in a proper hood. Yep. Yeah, and, and so it was a pretty rough area, and, and I was I was sort of stuck. I didn't have enough money to get out. Couldn't work. I couldn't race. And and I did was, you call back home? Oh yeah, I called back home. I probably didn't, yeah. you know, explain <laughs> the full situation. And, and um, so that's when I did a bit of driver coaching. Yep, in America, another former Atlantic driver. Yep, yeah. yep. And then that's sort of when the A1GP thing sort of started.
1: Yeah, okay. Boiling. Yeah, well, right. Not
0: boiling, but bringing
1: yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, So I was going to bring up the A1 GP. A1 GP was massive. I think you were a part of the first Australian team, weren't you? I think it was the you First or second. Yeah. 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 How did you find Alan Docking in that, the whole Alan Jones scenario? Because it was very promoted over here at the time.
0: It was a great concept, wasn't it? Yeah. I found the team pretty easy to work with. Yep. As in, I, I knew Alan Docking a lot. I got really close to racing with them in Formula 3 and being an Aussie, and after Will Power, he was really keen to sort of keep the Australian Motorsport Foundation channel going there, and then I chose to go with T-Sport. but yep. So the connection was already there, near the people, and so I went and tested at Silverstone, yep. and that was how I was able to get out of America. went to Silverstone, and that at that point, it was just a pre-season test, yep. and we all just basically had one crack at it. So the Australian drivers we had at that test was Ian Dyke, Carl Ryan and myself, Mm-hmm. And they had these Avon tyres and tyre warmers. First time I'd used tyres warmers. Yep. And I'd gone to that test just so pumped up. <laughs> and the engineer said, Look, Bart, you got to go out. You got to have the grip. You, you just got to go for it. And then it's going to drop off. So I took on board what he said, maybe a bit too well. Mm-hmm. I went on the outlap. And then on the outlap through the complex at Silverstone, the yeah. last sector. I still had a purple sector on my outlap for the whole day. I and mean, this Hulkenberg <laughs> were there, and like all the teams, I was just on it. Yeah. And by the end of that first lap, the t- the tyres were already degrading. Really? Yeah. 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 So was that because
1: it was a harder compound, or was it? Or is it? No, a, quite soft. And, yeah.
0: and, and with the tyre warmers, like all you had to do was warm up the brakes. Like yeah, right. Was so just it was just
1: on. So they were quick for pretty much the first four laps, and then they would yeah. just die off. Yeah. Yeah, right. Did you do many races or was it just the test? No, no.
0: So I did the test, went really well. I think it was about six fastest of all the countries. But I didn't get the race drive, but they kept me on as the test reserve driver. So I, went, I did the full tour with the team. Uh, and then it sort of started to become pretty obvious about halfway through I, I wasn't going to race that season. So as a reserve driver, it was my duty to, to go to all the A1. QP, uh, social gatherings yep. and, uh, <laughs> enjoy that.
1: <laughs> it was pretty, it was like a mini F1 back then, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty wild that there yeah. was lots of, uh, lots of parties going
1: on. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about parties, do you actually remember your time? I'm going back a bit to your F3 days. Um, or was it, I think it was F3, you raced at the Bahrain Super Prix. Do you mm. remember Bahrain back then to oh, what yeah. it is now?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that was definitely biting off a bit more than I could chew. So that was 2004, mm. and I had done half a year of the the B-Class, mm. and then I'd basically been out of the seat for ha- half a year. Then I managed to get enough support to do the one-off Bahrain Super Prix, and that was just littered with the drivers. So Lewis Hamilton was there, Nico Rosberg. It was about six guys that went on the F1. And uh, I just started so stepping from the oldest spec car, To the latest spec car, which I hadn't driven or raced, and and half the season out of the season and I struggled. You know, in the wet was okay. You know, I was I was pretty close to the front, but in the dry at a foreign track and with a new team, that was a a waste opportunity. I should have just kept that That money for the next year, just on testing, and that was a good lesson. Where you know, what was hard to get the support from Australia was everyone would sort of say, "Oh, I'll help you to go racing," but. I wouldn't go testing and, and, yeah. and the other drivers would have the budget to go testing and a lot yeah. of testing and I'd be just lobbying and doing these races and that really
1: yeah. showed that. Can you actually explain, because Jeff, my stepdad was a big part of that, the funding and the whole campaign to get drivers from pretty much no budget to a budget. Can you explain how hard it was just from a driver coming from pretty much nothing to where you got to? Do you know what I mean? Like you had to work so hard, mm. you know, I had Joey Mawson on the podcast as well, you know, and a lot of race car drivers gamble on their house, literally. And go race. Did you? Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 So I, I didn't have a, a luxury of gambling on the yeah. house. So <laughs> um, I would just spend every day on the phone. You know, yeah. I, just, I just wake up in the morning, have a list yeah. uh, of people to talk to. And you, you're basically selling yourself yeah. all the da- all the time, you know, every day, all day. And I remember just in London just, just meeting up people all the time and just seeing people. And it's just – it's quite funny sometimes where – the help comes from you know you you think Mm. you got a couple of strong leads you're talking to those people and then just just from the side from you know left field someone will come through and offer their help so what i learned was you keep pressing on but Mm. you got to keep your eyes open because you know like life you know you just got to keep going. Good things come from any question.
1: You pretty much told me that when, when when it was the last race of the season and a car blew up in front of me, and you like keep going, dude. You d- you keep going.
0: You don't stop. I mean, like like yes. I said at Indy, you know, I couldn't see where I was going, and I didn't stop. And of course, in hindsight, you go, "Well, oh, that's mad." Yeah. But if you don't have that drive and that blind faith and desire to do it at all cost,
1: then. Yeah, you know, you're in the wrong sport. Yep. I've talked a lot about people on the podcast about the risks of motorsport. Have you had any, any big accidents that you remember or yeah. don't remember? Uh, I get asked this one a lot,
0: but the worst one was Monza. So, mm. you know, high speed, as you know. Yep. The Parabolica. As I got onto the brakes of the Parabolica, I had a tyre blowout and it sunk the right rear. And then the front unloaded, so I, I, I couldn't stop the car. So I went straight off yep. at, at Parabolica like, really fast. And so quick that the gravel trap didn't slow me up. I just skipped across the gravel and then and just, just went hit the straight yeah. in the wall. And that was the only time I remember going to the wall thinking, "I'll just close my eyes if they don't open." Did they you just don't do open. hands off the wheel at that point? You were oh, like, "Oh, you, sure. did, you can't know. remember."
1: <laughs> it was too tapping yeah. too fast, tapping yeah. too fast. Um, yeah. So we're talking about international racing. You actually before you came back to Australia, you actually gave the Toyota Racing Series a go, didn't you?
0: Yeah, that's right. So sort of back of, off the back of the A one thing, Travis Schumacher is still very involved with the TRS, and that's mm. a Great series. Mm. Um, asked me to step in and do a couple of races there. Yep. And I really enjoyed that. Van Gisbergen was racing at the time, I think, and mm. a couple of other really good drivers. And the New Zealanders haven't lost the purity of open wheel, as you know. And, and, yeah. and, and Kenny Smith still does Kenny it Kenny Smith there. still does it. They just, for such a small country, mm. they just produce so many...
1: Talented drivers, I totally agree. Talented drivers.
0: And when you go there, you realise why. You know, they don't have all this rubbish of stadium trucks and all these silly categories we've got now. They've just got hardcore
1: categories and they just get on with it. They stick to a format, don't they, in Mm. New Zealand? It's just, you know, I think it's six classes, I think, for the weekend and away you go. I think you'd have Formula Ford, F3 or Open Wheelers, and then you'd have, you know, the Super Tourers and the GTs and stuff like that. I hope you're enjoying my chat with Bart. Thanks again to hashtag Terrace for sponsoring this episode. Back to the show. So you've just finished overseas and you come back to Australia. Do do you remember that point in your life, what was happening back then?
0: I do because I felt like I'd come back to Australia with a tail between my legs. I'd gone as far as I could overseas. Opportunities and funding had dried up. But I I had a really good offer to come back to Australia through an old Formula 3 engineer of mine, Joe Sasso. And he'd been working in Formula 3 uh, with BRM and a new sponsor, Opus Prime. And they were looking at gearing up and going big, but they needed to finish that year off. James Winslow was hunting for the title and they basically needed a wingman. So I got drafted into a Formula 3 car on the premises of stepping up to a sedan the next year. Um, Managed to win the Tasmanian John Bowe Super Prix. Yeah, I remember that. In that process, which was cool. And then we had the options on the table for 2008 of either Development Series
1: or Career Cup. Yeah, right. And you had the... Yeah, the the chance to actually yeah, you got offered a, obviously a supercard thing, but you decided you know what I want to go career cup because it was pretty cool back then, and obviously Jeff, my stepdad, had helped start that category. and I remember those. I op- op- oh, call it Optimus Prime. <laughs> 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 Optimus Prime, Opus. Um, you know, the, yeah, the, yeah. I remember those cars and I remember you racing in it. and there's footage of it on the internet. There's a lot of data, like, obviously, about all the race car drivers on the internet, but there's a footage of you at Adelaide and you've, you've literally got four wheels off the ground. Yeah. You, you you use that car to its max potential.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. So it was interesting because it wasn't a choice of mine. I think if I I was pushing hard to go in the development series and go in the V8 supercars, so I would have yeah. been the obvious choice. But they'd already sponsoring a driver in the V8. So they said, look, we want you to go to Kura Cup. Well, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not going to argue. Like yep. you said, very cool category. Always has been. So we committed to Career Cup. I'd formed basically a group of people to go in, uh, myself included, to buy the car. Yep. And then Opus Prime was the major sponsor. Well, come round two, it's 2008, remember, started start of the GFC. Yep. Opus Prime. The yeah. directors. Optimus Prime. <laughs> uh, they're in jail. They're locked up. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so they, they were doing... Dodgy dealings with the NZ Bank. Yep, and so they're they're all in the slammer. That,
1: that's kind of when the whole like not just on Porsches and stuff. That's when all the categories uh, start to lose a lot of lot of grid numbers. That nineties.
0: took me honestly. That took me ten years to get over that. So I'd invested everything I had into buying the car. Mm-hmm. So then the sponsor goes broke or well, out of action. Yeah. So we committed then to keep going through the whole year. And at that point, by the third round, I'd finished on the podium. I was rookie of the year leading the Rookie of the Year ahead of James Moffat. Everything was good, but then we just had no money. Yeah. Couldn't get tests and the cars deteriorated, and I just went backwards.
1: So you pretty much just hopped in the car and raced it. You never did any testing with the Porsche? I or did not? a couple of test days beforehand. Yeah.
0: But, yeah, it was, it was a transition, obviously, coming from the open-wheelers to the sedans, but it was going pretty well. But then by the end of 2008, mm. the GFC had hit. Porsche Cup was no longer in 2009. Yep, The car had lost... All its value. I had these new people in who'd bought the car, so th- then the car lost its value. Um, you know, we we sort of had a plan to keep racing Cura Cup for a couple of years, and so it was it was all in tatters.
1: Yeah, right. I want to actually know how you met because I, I love Paige. I've actually stolen a few <laughs> few of his meals off her plate. How did you, you actually meet? How did you meet your wife? What would you through the New South Wales Road Racing
0: Club? There was obviously a bit of a uh, uh, interaction there, mm. and we'd actually known each other good over 10 years ago and then we'd never sort of really connected um until I, i'd come back and she was in europe too yeah uh, all right come back uh, as well and then um yeah met and, up and her, that's her that's family
1: that's, no no doreen doreen didn't match it up at all
0: uh, she's taking credit for it now but <laughs> <I don't know.
1: laughs> we should we were speaking about this like a while ago i should actually probably get doreen on here
0: because she, she'd be good <laughs> you'd have to extend the length of
1: your podcast but <laughs> yeah so We've spoken a bit about your, obviously your wife and and your at Cup time. At this stage, did you go into GT racing and driver coaching? Was that was yeah. that when your so career where you're like you had to make a bit of a change and make you know a bit of a budget to live? Yeah, you know, and put yeah you're on right. The that thing. was
0: <laughs> where the driver coaching really ramped up. I mean, in Europe, I worked sort of for Palmer Sport, which is cracking full corporate um, setup, and then doing one-on-one coaching with drivers. And I was doing one-on-one. Drive coaching for Carlin and Bruno Senna and a lot of the guys coming through there. But yep. when I come back here, yeah, it started to become my mainstream um, source of income. And then, so being career a car, that sort of led into a bit of GTs and mm. you know, I started racing the Audis and doing the 12 hours and yep. um, some GT championships.
1: Yeah, you raced them um, with, um, I think it was Greg Taylor. Yep. This is it. Let's see. Let's see how good my memory is. Greg Taylor, I think Idrian Pattiachi. Yeah. That was another one that you raced in the Bathurst 12 hour. How'd That's that go, right. by the way?
0: Oh, that was good until we had an issue there. Um, that was in an old cup car, wasn't was it? an old cup yeah. car. We qualified. There was a couple of the cup cars there, and we had Alex Davison, Earl Bamba, myself, and, and like, the cup cars are awesome at Baths because you've got the straight-line speed. Yeah. So you get ahead of a couple of those GT cars, and you can be a bit of a pain. I really rated the, those sort of cup cars because we were in the B category in the 12-hour, but yeah. you could still... You know, Still, racing. Yeah. in the top 10.
1: Yeah, right. How did you um, rate your time with Greg Taylor? Greg Taylor is obviously was a huge backer of yours, much like Nick Kelly is as well today. Well, how was your time with Greg Taylor? And didn't you also do, in your time in GT, you raced in Malaysia and a few other countries, didn't you? Yeah, at that time? yep.
0: So that was, Greg had actually came to Wall Racing and started a massive program and ramped up really quick. Yeah. Um, and David said, All right, let's get Bart in and basically paired us up. So that went well, we won the 2015 GT Trophy Division, so Mm -hmm. the the older cars, and then Greg stepped up to the newer car, and then we did the Bathurst 12-hour the next year, Mm. um, 2016, and we won the Pro-Am Division up there. Six outright, first Audi team home, it just went really well, so that was Greg myself and Nathan Antunes. So that was a pretty good combo, to be honest, and yeah, that was really
1: good. That was a really fun time. (laughs) Now, I, I've, I obviously remember it because when I go to the shop, I see photos, you know, big posters on the wall. So that's, that's easy for me to remember. Um, Another thing that i got to bring up is, although it didn't really get going, I guess we're maybe spinning out of time here, but you had your time with Mildun Motorsport in the inaugural S5000 TCR championship before it is what it is today. How was it juggling between the S5000 and the TCR Subaru, which was a bit of a, a dog car, to be honest. No one runs it now.
0: <laughs> yeah, so... That was born about, and, and it's a good sort of, sort of time with the driver coaching I was doing. So, mm. Mildan, um, Liam, is based uh, in Melbourne and he was uh, using me to do all these observed licence tests, which I do for drivers wanting to come and, and get their race licence for what was CAMS and now Motorsport Australia. So, yep. I was doing that for him. He had a client who wanted to sort of ramp things up a bit. Liam had wanted to get involved in sort of the next level of motorsport. So, he'd been running team in... Basically rallying and Victorian state level. And then it just sort of was fit with the new S five thousands rolling in. So we grabbed a car, went to Philip Island, had the worst baby yeah. ever, shunted. <laughs> um, and then we raced it at Sandown for the first race. So that was yep. cool, wasn't it? Right? Yeah. yeah. It was out. Oh, that was
1: awesome. I, I, yeah. I loved that I loved yeah. that event. That yeah. was that just planted S five
0: thousand back onto did, the map. It did. And you've got to give it to you know, GRM for yeah, You know, the way they did all that. Chris Lambden, it was... I remember going to Chris Lambden and seeing the... Well, what was the prototype car back in 2015 with Greg Taylor? We were yeah. Racing down, ran Chris, we went and had a look at it. And you could see his vision then and for him to mm. be was so persistent.
1: They actually had two cars of the S5000, the yeah. Viet Supercar version and the other one, remember? Then they created the GRM version.
0: Yeah, that's right. So fortunately, they they stuck with the right one. And yep. then they developed it. And it's a brutal car, and, mm. and their ethos was basically to replicate what was Formula Five Thousand yep. with a sort of modern day touch.
1: And now I want to get onto your your time in with PR Tech Racing World Time Attack, which you're most known for these days. <laughs> so a lot of people know Barton, more the two time World Time Attack <laughs> <laughs> champion, which I sprout to every other that I know <laughs> in the pits. Um, but what was your time with like PR Tech back in? T- I think it was 2018, 19 was your was your time when you you know you've they've built the car and they've modernized the car. What's what what's it like? racing in what you've done to opposed to World Time Attack and the way Ian Baker does things?
0: On the outside, it looks very different, doesn't it? I mean, mm. Ian does such a great job. He's sort of that old school rock promoter yeah. kind of style about him. Parties hard, plays hard, and then works yeah. hard. And, 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 and the product he's got around World Time Attack is just brilliant. But from my point of view, it's the same thing. You've got a car, you're trying to make it as fast as you can. My relationship with PowerTech, it, it stemmed from a long time ago, well over 10 years ago, where I just started working with him as a basically, yeah, their driver coach for their customers, mm. whether it be road cars or, or race cars, to either help with their driving or, or also developing the cars. So, PR Tech are based up at Brookvale, really cutting edge stuff. Mm. Um, everything, they got the dynos, they do everything from fabricating um, to. Got a simulator as well, don't simulator to yeah. whatever you want. <laughs> and if it's with a Porsche, even better. So, that was a long, long time relationship. Yeah. They already built the car. I wasn't involved with it from the start. So David Wall they debuted the car, I didn't and it know was that. a tough first year. Yeah. They usual thing with Tom Attack. It was yeah. it was the last bit it was rushed. I think the car literally caught on fire. So David managed to get through and get a respectable result. And then year two, they asked me to come on board, and it was still a massive development phase. Mm. And then I mean, it's no surprise that oh, I, think, I think Nemo um, with Luffy was the last car to come in and on his debut year yep. and win. It, usually it's a bit of a journey. And then so it, it took a couple of years for us to get to the point where the car was quicker than Hammerhead and then, you know, like yep. you said, well, then
1: we won yep. two and years. And the big crowds there. And you, yeah. you you know, you bring your family along to that as well. Um, how does Jasper obviously find when Dad's at a big event like that? Does he get more enthusiastic than he normally is about car racing or nah, just nah, not face at all?
0: I think he gets more enthusiastic seeing you. He's, every <laughs> open wheel he calls, it, oh, down the man car. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, like a Posters, obviously, around yeah, and, and yeah. memorabilia, but it's just all yeah. part yeah, of your it. dad's
1: pretty, pretty proud of your time in World Time Attack. Though he's got the big thing in the shop. He's got the big World Time Attack number, you know, the the lap time on there. And uh, yeah,
0: well, I stole the big banner. They had the promotional banner outside um, Sydney Motorsport Park. Well, I shouldn't say stole.
1: Yeah, well, you won I it was, anyway, so was, you should take yeah, it anyway. Permission to take
0: <laughs> it. So it's a massive banner. I mean, it's, yeah, it, it, yeah, it'd be twenty minutes yeah. long.
1: <laughs> yeah. So with with your time in World Time Attack. You were building it to the point where it was starting starting to win. Like, obviously, now it's at that point where it's a two-time winner. Has there been any more advanced work put on that car, or has it kind of just stayed in 2019?
0: It's predominantly 2019 spec. Yep. They've been uh, modifying the rear suspension a little bit mm. and also shooting the turbo. So last time we drove it, the throttle was pretty much an on-off switch with that sort of power, but they're just refining it. So... It's just one of those cars. It'll keep absorbing whatever time and effort you spend on it to keep improving it.
1: Yeah. Do you actually enjoy talking a bit about your driver coaching because you are a driver coach? And you don't just run me. You run a fair few people. Do you enjoy driver coaching these days because you get to go out and witness, you know, beginners to, you know, myself and others. Do you get the same thrillers, thrill out of it as you do um, racing a car, like in Europe? I don't know if I get the same thrill, but I certainly enjoy it and and,
0: and it's great seeing... It drives like yourself. Yep. You know, getting result. We have a plan. You know, we, we know how to um, work it through. We execute it and we get a result. So, yeah, I do enjoy that. And, and, and I understand that that's what's going to be me going forward and, and mm. keep earning a living out of motorsport, which is what I love doing. Mm. I also enjoy how the data logging and, and the camera systems are getting so evolved now. Mm. You can get really involved and because I understand what the driver wants and needs and what it feels like in the seat to use all those tools and really extract all the information out of that to help drivers go fast. And, yeah. and that, you know, I really enjoy.
1: Yeah, you actually utilise um extra mechanics as well who's helped me out from other teams when they don't actually have other work going on. So yeah, more engineering doesn't only just foster talent, it actually fosters mechanical talent as well.
0: Yeah, it
1: does. And then that probably stems back from what I was saying
0: earlier where David's such a good teacher that mm. um, around more engineering, we've got a lot of people coming in and out, a lot of people wanting to mm. be around and work, and then we draw on all that. And, and um, yeah, with the contacts we've got over so many years, we've got a good widespread of, of, of people in the industry we can use yeah. and
1: rely on. We're coming to the end of the podcast now, so I'm going to talk about before, you know, as it's closing into 2022, but more so 2020, 2020, 2019, where you actually, you went to America after you'd won World Time Attack. Do you remember your time over in America? I remember remember also you telling me, you know, you had some fans over there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so off the back of Time Attack, I got invited by the
0: Americans who are over here and, and trying to do similar events to go and do the Superlap Battle at, at Circuit of the Americas. And that was really good. It was the idea to do a recce run to hopefully one day take RP968 over, yep. which would still be amazing. And so I went over in a much more subdued car, but just to learn and meet the people and, and see the crowds. And I was met by these Mexicans <laughs> um, with a, a T-shirts that printed off Yeah. Uh, with a Big picture of my head saying, Barton Moore, will you marry me? <laughs> and it, uh, it was really hard to understand, like, you know. <laughs> Do I marry them or not? Of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but, no, they were great. They yeah. were such, such cool people. And he gave me one. And I was able to bring it home and give it to Paige.
1: Yeah, that's good. I'm going to get David Wall on the show as well. So I want to actually about ask you about your friendship with David Wall. You and Dave have always been close through your whole friendship. When did that actual friendship start?
0: So it started um, about 2001. So between Neil McFadden, David and myself, really, really close-knit group um, and all living very close together and and racing, and we all go out together. And then, yeah, I mean, David's just been really good Mm. with me over the years and, um, you know, even last night, hanging out with him, looking at the new Cup car. So it's good to see War Racing just growing like it They're has massive and, now you know David's just put so much work into it
1: mm. I, want, I want to ask an interesting question you, you've obviously listened to my podcast plenty of times because I'm I'm your driver but what do you think could change in the motorsport Australia industry what would you change if you were the CEO for a day that's a great
0: question I probably haven't thought about it enough I and it's without sounding too sort of stereotypical or cliched but grassroots you know I'm in a fortune position where I I work with the top categories I work with teams that have got a budget to to go out and, and, and do uh, what they need to do. But, you know, I was at, when I was racing karts and, and Formula 4, we could go out to a track and just drive for a whole day. Yeah. And, and you can't do that. It sounds silly, but if you've got an open wheeler and you want to go to a track, you know. Eastern like, Creek or, yeah. Eastern anyway. Creek, they call themselves a premier track and just yeah. test for a whole day and drive around and around. You can't do it. It's not easy to fix that. And I don't think there's an easy... Mm. Easy answer, but you know, for, for a young driver to have to just commit mm. and go with a full team with a semi trailer truck and full time mechanics and you know, insure the car and have a race engineer to go and learn how to change gear, it, 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 it's a bit bit hard to swallow when there's so many father son combos out there that you know want to enter the sport and, and mm, from go karts and, and from go karts and try to if they want to enter open wheelers and it's not so easy to do. And Mm. I I try to help a lot. I'm doing an LT for a young girl who's about to race Formula Ford, uh, this year on this Friday. And I I try to help where I can, but that's just little bits. it needs to be a little bit more from the top and, you know, Mm. everyone, a lot of people talk about it, but not a lot gets done.
1: Well, well, I'm going to give you one or two, technically two questions, but it is one. What are the top three race cars you've ever driven? And what are the top three tracks that you've ever driven?
0: should have thought about this a bit more. <laughs> so, top three cars, I'm going to have to say RP968. Yep. You know, I think... So, will time, less, attack, cargo well, time one. attack car goes time attack car. No surprises, <laughs> boom. A tenth away from the Outerallet record. Second would be Formula 3 car. Mm. And, I, I mean, I think the, the the most recent, and sounds old now, the car I I, I would have driven is about an 04 model Dallara. So, yeah. any Dallara would be right up there. And then, three is just a good go mm. Yeah,
1: A good go car. Yep. You good. can't like, go wrong with a go-kart. Like <laughs> <laughs> we literally just go go-karting whenever we can. And, <laughs> at the last, with the most randomest minutes <laughs> of the just, day, just we'll go out. out there. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much fun. But yeah, what are the top tracks that you've driven?
0: Circuits. Um, well, I've raced on the Nordschleife, the old Nurburgring. ring. Yep. I've done the 24-hour and races there, so that's just easy, number one. Yep. Number two is Oran Park.
1: Yeah, that, that was a great Absolutely.
0: The day we lost Oran Park, I still shed a tear. Mm. Every time we drive past there and, and look at the so-called progress of the housing estate, and then number three, Monza. Monza. Because it's just fast. It's just fast. It's just, just wicked Don't quick. crash.
1: <laughs> I want to ask about, before we close, you've actually done, every now and then you actually get your family out to the racetrack and you've got your own Radical, which you've said in, earlier in the podcast, but you actually brought them out last year to have a, it came up in the memory from, yeah. from your wife and Facebook. This That's is the right. reason why I'm bringing this up. Do you remember much of that day and who was out there with your family? Like,
0: I remember the day because we were just all sweating yep. so much. It was that hot day at Wakefield where you tarmac sticking to your shoe. But look, it was just a family and friends day because obviously what we do is pretty cool on. So many people around sort of go, oh, if I ever get a chance to drive or if I could ever, you know. Mm. So look, the radical I've got is it, it, it's, I like to use it for driver training and people to get experience with that sort of car. So I just put a day on at Wakefield. One of John Boston's track school days, which are brilliant. We just rocked up there. I had about... Oh, Twelve or fourteen people. I just stayed in the passenger seat all day and just let them all have a drive. I mean, what a thing to do! We had people from um, like teenagers to you know um, almost grandparents yeah. driving the car. And <laughs> um, yeah, I like to share what we do. We yeah. we're a close family, and and those guys all have to put in their bid and 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 sometimes cop what is like most sports so selfish behaviors and, and focus and and the family have to work around that so it's just nice to say well let's go and have a fun day
1: <laughs> how do you juggle um like if you're coaching because it is full-on because i'm a full-on customer sometimes as really you know, I, get, <laughs> I, get, I get i get a bit excited sometimes but how do you juggle the family life and the and the coaching at the same time to just I is, just is it hard for you or can.
0: you just, just just
1: if you can handle no
0: sleep it's fine
1: <laughs> uh well Bart, thanks for coming on the podcast man i much appreciate it and um, i guess i'll see you probably next week let's go go it go. <laughs> <Yeah>, sounds good <laughs> thanks to bart for coming on the podcast and to hashtag my balcony and Terrace group for sponsoring this episode the links to all our social media are in the show notes